Uh, what a wonderful morning. Uh, Grace and I are glad to be back. We've been away the past two Sundays in Australia. Just got back on Monday. And um, yeah, thanks to those who've been inquiring about jet lag. We, we don't believe in jet lag, so we <laughs> ignored it. And it's been fine. Uh, but I thought it would be helpful just for Grace to give a little bit of feedback about our, our week in Australia, in Adelaide. So. Lag. So, the good news is I'm not at all tired, which is not true. I am really, really tired. <laughs> um, I just thought the psalm this morning was amazing and helpful, actually, for what Matt and I have been doing in the past week. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. And there is a sense in that psalm that the Lord wants the whole world to worship him. And uh, I think the first thing I would say is thank you for releasing us. Um, you may not have known you released us, but you did. <laughs> but the fact that Matt and I could go to Australia and be with Ben and Trina in their church was a massive privilege. It just was a huge honor to go. I was very excited about going. I never would have dreamed I would have traveled so far. And that just wasn't in my frame that I would ever get to go to Australia. It wasn't even a particular desire to go. But I loved it. I absolutely loved it. The church is called Coastlands. They're in a city called Adelaide, right down at the bottom of Australia. So it was a long way to go, but we landed really well and got up and went and did an Australian park run the first morning to reset our body clocks. And then it was straight into a women's um, afternoon tea that afternoon. Not for me. Not for you. He wasn't allowed to <laughs> go had, to that. I had a men's lunch um, first. Which was uh, amazing because they've all got British uh, teacups and saucers. And uh, they were very excited about showing me their ability to make scones. So it was great. Uh, we had a really nice time uh, doing that and connecting. And so really the purpose of the trip was twofold. It was for us to sit with Ben and Trina and their people and to really strengthen their people. They're another advanced church, one of the family of churches that we belong to. And there is no substitute for being in the room, actually, with those people and hearing their stories. So a big highlight of the week for me was just hearing people's stories, how they came to faith, some of the things they're struggling with, um, and just praying with people and joining with them. So that was an amazing privilege. The, um, and the second reason we were there was there was the Asia-Pacific Conference happening, which was churches in their area gathering together to hear and strengthen one another from different nations. Now, unfortunately, the um, people from Nepal weren't able to get visas. They weren't able to come, and they had to zoom in on the last day. But we did have reports from India, which were very exciting, and we heard a lot about the work from Nepal into... Sorry, from India into Nepal... And we also had some couples, some lead couples from Thailand, from a tiny little mountain village somewhere in Thailand near a city called Chiang Rai. And one of those couples had never, ever left their village. And they were at this conference and actually, I think, completely overwhelmed because they were meeting people, other Christians, and they'd never been with so many Christians before and they'd never been with so many people in a Western context. And so it was just really good for us to see how do you love people like that well and help them when they're feeling really overwhelmed. But it was wonderful just to meet them and it helped us to be able to pray for them in the context that, that they're in. And we also had other couples drive like for two or three days to get from one end of Australia to the other other just to be there who are planting into different contexts so it was just really exciting for us Matt was preaching twice both Sundays and also speaking during the conference and I just had the privilege of just praying for people listening to people the other thing that was really lovely was 
that church now feels really connected to us as Gateway. And one of the reasons they feel connected to us is because Ben and Trina have been here and their lead worship leader, Beanie, and Crystal came about seven years ago, I think. And so they've had their leaders sit with us and they've had video messages back and forth, but they said it's really great to meet you in person and they all feel really committed to us. So they spent a lot of the week praying for us as a church and praying that we would reach the nations and that we would be strong in the Lord. And that was really wonderful to see. And there's probably about 30 of them who've decided they're coming to the UK and they're going to come to Paul. So that's also good. So we'll watch out for them because I think quite a few of them are quite serious about it. They actually want to come and visit us. So let's be open to that. Um, When we travel, we pray that it will do you good. It's not just to do us good, but that we'd bring something back that would then impact you. And we were praying that we'd be a blessing to them, but they prayed so well for us, and there were many prophetic words for us as a church as well, which is very exciting. That's it, I think. Great. This is some of the lovely team. We only had one day where we were allowed to go out and play, um, and they took us to a wild animal park. So this is some of the team. We're up on a mountain, and you can see all of Adelaide in the distance and the sea. So we were up on quite a high hill. Beautiful people. You can see Ben and Trina there. Um, who it was also the one day it was sunny. It was 15 degrees and raining most of it the time. It was freezing. Uh, this is Matthew feeding a wallaby who has a baby Joey in her pouch, which is really Aww. cute. <laughs> So, so just we like kebab size. Yeah. Uh, so we did get to go to this wild animal park and look at koalas and kangaroos and um, and wallabies one day. Um, the the bird life is amazing there. If you like birds, there are just parrots flying around, which I couldn't quite get my head around. Just like it's just absolutely beautiful. But we only got one day to enjoy that stuff. But it was good. Okay. Thank you, Grace. Okay, we're in John 17 this morning. Uh, if you haven't got a Bible, it would be helpful if you could grab one. If Stuart's uh, happy to pass them around. This is the end of uh, the upper room discourse. So since John chapter 13, Jesus washing his disciples' feet, the last few weeks, this is where we've been, Jesus in the upper room with his disciples the night before his betrayal. And John chapter 17 is what is often called, not the Bibles, to be titled the High Priestly Prayer. In this chapter, we get to listen to the way in which Jesus prays. We get an insight into the relationship between the Father and the Son, and we get an insight into what that means for us. And as we read this chapter, there really is a sense of standing on holy ground. This is Jesus' prayer to his Father for us just before he goes to the cross. And uh, it almost feels as if anything that uh, we can say about this chapter is almost too trivial because it is so incredibly profound the way that Jesus prays, the relationship between, we see between the Son and the Father, what he prays for us. So just to help us open the door on this because it is so precious, so uh, beautiful, so important, uh, there's an interesting theological insight from the, the Bible commentator F.D. Brunner who, who calls this prayer, he calls it the Lord's Lord's Prayer. And sets out the parallels between the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus taught the disciples how to pray, and what Jesus himself prays in this prayer. So uh, it's illustrated on the next slide. Thanks, Lou, if we can get that up. So uh, the Lord's Prayer is in blue. It's a little bit small to see, but hopefully you can get it. And then black in between is phrases from John chapter 17. So the Lord's Prayer, our Father who is in heaven, the high priestly prayer, 
Jesus lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, hallowed be your name. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. Your kingdom come. Holy Father, keep them in your name that you gave to me so that they may be one as we are. Your will be done. Keep them from the evil one. On earth as it is in heaven, I am not asking you to take them out of the world. Give us this day our daily bread. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. May they all be one as we are one, so that the world may believe. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Father, I want the community you gave me to be with me where I am. It's an amazing parallel between how Jesus taught the disciples to pray and how he prays to his Father in the high priestly prayer. And so what we see here is that what we learn is we learn how to pray by listening to how the Lord prays. Uh, If you struggle to pray, often the best way to learn to pray is to get along somebody else who knows how to pray. And here we see how Jesus prays to his Father, and this teaches us how to pray. We learn what the priorities of prayer should be through the way that Jesus prays to the Father in this high priestly prayer. So the first way we see Jesus praying is he prays for the glory of God. And uh, I'm going to follow the divisions in the Bibles we're using, NRV translation. As I say, many Bibles just have a title over the whole chapter saying the high priestly prayer. I'm going to follow the way it's divided here in the New International Version. So pray for the glory of God. Jesus looked towards heaven and prayed. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. The cross hasn't yet happened. The cross is about to happen, but Jesus prays as though the cross has already happened. Once you get to John chapter 19, Jesus is crucified, and on the cross, John 19 verse 30, Jesus cries out in a loud voice, It is finished. But here in John 17, in the high priestly prayer, Jesus prays, I have finished, or I have accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus prays as if the work is already done. I have finished the work you gave me to do. And and this is why this is called the high priestly prayer. Jesus is completing the work that will enable his people to come to God. The high priest, the man who stands between the human race and God. The high priest who makes sacrifices in order that human beings can approach God. Sacrifices which in some way cover, pay for human sin, enable sinful humans to approach a holy God. Jesus Christ completes that work. His his sacrifice is what enables us to come into God's presence. And that's a once-for-all work. It's why on the cross Jesus prays, declares, it is finished. It's why Jesus here prays, I've finished the work you sent me to do. The high priest had to make sacrifices every year. No more sacrifices are needed now because Jesus has made the once-for-all sacrifice. It is finished. 
because of the work of Jesus, our high priest, we are now able always to come into the presence of God. No more sacrifice needed or required. This is what makes it possible for us to know God. This is what Jesus prays, that we might know God. And I would argue that this is the greatest privilege that a human being can have, to know God. That Jesus, because of his high priestly work, enables us to step into relationship with God. And what we see in this prayer is the closeness of relationship between the Father and the Son, between Jesus and his heavenly Father. And as Jesus prays and we get a window into that relationship, we get a window into what it means for us to come into relationship with God, that this is what it means to step into eternal life. Jesus, Jesus prays that they would know, now this is eternal life, that they know you. What is eternal life? It is knowing God. It is stepping into the presence of God. And so this is a prayer that everybody in this room needs to hear this morning. That those of us who know that the work of Christ is finished, complete, accomplished, and has been applied to us because we've come in faith to him. This is true for us. This is, this is, our, this is why we rejoice. This is why we come with the confidence that Vicky was talking about at the start of the service, because we have stepped into eternal life, because we have stepped into a knowledge of God. We have stepped into relationship with the Father. Wow. And for anyone in this room who hasn't yet come to that place of faith, this is so important for you, because what does eternal life mean? It means knowing God. It means coming into relationship with Him, and that could be your story, even today, to step into relationship with God. And this is, this is a message, this is the most important message any man or woman can hear. That you can know God. And what a brilliant message for November. It's lovely and bright and sunny this morning, but what a miserable week it's been. Constant wet and grey. But we get to step into the presence of God with Jesus. The, the high priest, Jesus, brings us, brings his people into eternal life brings us into the presence of God. And that's something which we need to treasure. Last time I was speaking here three weeks ago, that was my theme, treasuring the presence of God. We need to treasure the presence of God. This is stepping into eternal life, stepping into a knowledge of Him. Now, when Jesus says this is eternal life, when we think about eternity, which is hard to think about, we, of course, think about something which stretches into the future. Eternity is something which begins. You come into relationship with God. You put your faith in Jesus. You come to know God, and eternity suddenly stretches out in front of us. But Jesus actually casts eternity in terms of what has gone before. Jesus isn't just thinking about eternity stretching forward. Jesus sees eternity as stretching back. And so Jesus says that he is seeking the glory I had with you before the world began. And this takes us back to where the whole Gospel of John begins. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Jesus eternally has been with his Father, enjoying the glory that surrounds the heavenly throne. And so Jesus frames what he's praying here and describing here in terms of this word glory. Let me know the glory I had with you before, at the beginning of all things. And this theme of the glory of God is, 
extraordinarily important, extraordinarily important, but also, I think, hard to understand. We had a, a team meeting on, on Thursday evening, and uh, the four of us together from the leadership team here, and we were talking around this theme about the glory of God. We've been doing, we have some reading that we do together um, to help us think uh, theologically as we meet, and so we'd read a chapter of a book which is about the glory of God, and we had this conversation about the glory of God, what does it mean, and how do we communicate what the glory of God is? And actually, it's a, I think it's a difficult theme for us to grasp hold of. What is the glory of God? What does that really mean? It's difficult for us to find uh, connection points in our normal language and culture, I think. What we, what we need to see is that God is resolutely God-centered. God is god Centered. God is more concerned for his glory than he is for anything else. Let me give you two scriptures, one Old Testament, one New Testament, just to illustrate this. Isaiah 48, the Lord says, I will not yield my glory to another. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. God is resolutely self Centered. He's more concerned for his glory than for anything else. Now, we need, we need to try and grasp this, and we need to see why it's good news. I think our problem is that we think too humanly. And uh, this is part of our discussion on Thursday night as we were talking about the glory of God and what it means and how to communicate it. Because in us, where we stand culturally, if a statement, as I've just made, God is resolutely God-centered, probably a response amongst many of us in this room is to think, does that mean that God is a narcissist? Why, why is God God-centered? Why does God, why does God say, I will not yield my glory to another? What's it about? Why is God so God-focused? But that's a very human way to think. Narcissism is when we worship something ourselves, something which is derivative as though it was, as though it was ultimate. We put something which is created and made and dependent and make that center stage as if that was the ultimate thing. But the Lord God is the most powerful and pure and beautiful and worthy and ultimate being in the universe. He is over and above, beyond all else. And so failure to glorify him is like replacing the sun with a 20-watt bulb and saying the 20-watt bulb is where our focus should be. You, know, you give attention to the sun because the sun is overwhelming in its glory. And the Lord God is far more overwhelming in his glory than is the sun. Now, Jesus completing his mission, Lord, Father, I've done the work that you gave me to do, means Glory. It means entering into life. Jesus, Jesus has completed his mission on earth. He's about to go to the cross, which is the most shameful and humiliating place in which to die. And yet, through that, he is going to enter again into the glory he shares with the Father. He's going to enter into overwhelming majesty. He's going to enter back into what is unbelievably beautiful pure and perfect, the glory of God. And the real wonder of this is that this is something that we get to share in, jumping ahead to the end of the prayer in verse 22. Jesus says, I have given them, the disciples, the glory that you gave me. 
There's a way somehow in which we get to share in the glory of God. What is eternal life? Eternal life is knowing God. Who is, who is God? He's the one who dwells in unapproachable glory. He's the one who is all praise and honor and adoration is due. And somehow we get caught up in that. What is eternal life? It is to be caught up in the presence, in the glory of God. And so we need, to, we need to pray like that. We need to pray for that. We need to pray that we grasp more and more what this means. We need to, to, to pray. The mission has been accomplished. Jesus has done the work that his Father gave him to do. It's because of that that we can enter into the presence of God. So the hope of glory is ours. It's been secured by Christ. So, oh, for us to know more of the glory of God. To have a real experience of overwhelming awe in the presence of the majesty of the Lord Most High. That we get to live in the presence of God. We get to enter eternal life. We get to know God who is so glorious we shouldn't be able to look upon him without being burnt to a crisp. To grasp that understand that's what happens when we come together as we worship as we've just been doing now that we're not again as Vicky exhorted us at the beginning we're not just coming to sing songs but we're coming together into the presence of God but those of us who know Jesus carry something of his presence in us by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us and when we come together as a body as a people as a family the presence of God is amongst us and we're to see and taste something of the incredible glory and splendor and majesty of God to fall on our knees, metaphorically and, why not literally, amazed at who God is and that he has brought us to share in life with him because of the high priestly work of his son. We need to pray that we'd have a greater revelation of the glory of God. Second thing, Next part of the passage is that we would pray like Jesus prays for us. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that Scripture will be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth." Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Jesus prays here for the 11 disciples 
but he's also praying for, for us. We know that from the next verse, verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray for those who will come. So this prayer that Jesus prays for the 11, he's praying for us as well. And there's great reassurance here. Isn't this reassuring? Jesus prays for us. Isn't that good news? Jesus prays for us. Uh, in the letter to the Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews sums this up. Hebrews 7, verse 24. Jesus lives forever. He has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus is praying for us. He's interceding for us. But what, what does that mean? What does that mean now? Um, Dane Ortland in his book, Gentle and Lowly, puts it like this. Intercession applies what the atonement accomplished. The atonement accomplished our salvation. Intercession is the moment-by-moment application of that atoning work. In the past, I love this, in the past, Jesus did what he now talks about. In the present, Jesus talks about what he then did. The intercession of Jesus before the Father is Jesus talking about his atoning work, the reality of his finished, completed work, that Jesus went to the cross and declared, it is, it is finished, he did the work of the high priest. He is our great high priest. He has made a way for us to come completely into the presence of God, to be saved completely. And that's what Jesus speaks about before the Father. That's his work of intercession. That's his prayer for us. And in John 17, we see these things coming together. Atonement is about to happen because Jesus is about to go to the cross, and intercession is being made as Jesus prays for his disciples. We see how Jesus prays for us, and that gives us a shape for how we should pray as well. We see that he prays for us as those who are sent into the world. Jesus' disciples are meant to be in the world. And that's reassuring, especially when we wish that we weren't here. A couple of weeks ago, Grace and I got on a plane. 24 hours later, we got off in Australia. And as Grace says, it's very different. We spent that first day wandering around. There's a parrot. There's a cockatoo. There's a parrot. There's a cockatoo. Suddenly, colors. Unimaginable in a British context. Very different. And we might wish spiritually for something like that to happen in terms of this world. Lord, get me out of here. Put me on a spiritual plane and take me to a place where the colors are much brighter and where things seem very different. Jesus, get me out of here. And Christian communities can respond to the world by huddling away from the world. So we're stuck here at the moment, but we'll have as little to do with the world as we possibly can. We're just going to huddle away in our corner and try and avoid the world as much as we can. That's not how Jesus prays for us. Jesus prays for us as those who are sent out into the world. We are meant to be in the world, even though that's often an uncomfortable place to be. And actually, this is a key discipleship diagnostic. Do you feel uncomfortable in the world? If you never feel uncomfortable in the world, there's probably a question about what kind of disciple you are. Because we should feel uncomfortable in the world. (laughs) Because the world is hostile to the will of God means the world often feels an uncomfortable place to be. But we're meant to be in it. We're meant to be in the world, but we're not meant to be worldly. We're not meant to be like the world. And there's a contrast here between 
words and world. In English, it's just a one-letter difference. There's an L put in. Word and world. We have been given the word of God, the truth about who God is. Jesus says that, verse 8, I've given them the words you gave me and they accepted them. We can trust the words of God. We can trust the words of the Bible. This is the word of God. We trust God's word. It's true. It's powerful. It feeds us. Jesus himself is the living word, John 1.1. He was the word who existed before all things, through whom all things were made. And the word, Jesus has spoken the words of God to us. And the way of the world and the way of the word are different. Jesus prays that we would be sanctified. That means that we're made fit to follow him, to be like him. We're called to a life of purity, that we're set apart for God's purpose, that we're called to follow the Jesus way, which is the way of purity, of holiness. It's to be sanctified as we are sent into the world. But the world is a dangerous place, so Jesus doesn't just pray about us being sent into the world, he prays for our protection in the world. Jesus says here that he's protected, he's guarded the disciples while he's been with them. And this is interesting because when we think about safety... We primarily think about physical safety. We're very hot on physical safety in our cultural context. We do all kinds of things to make life as safe as it possibly can be physically. On Thursday, Grace's school was closed because there was potentially going to be some wind, which didn't even happen in the end. But the school was shut in order to keep people safe because we put such a high value on physical safety. And increasingly, we put such a high value on emotional safety. You've got to have your safe place. And nobody's allowed to challenge you with an idea or concept which might be difficult for you emotionally to process. You've got to be protected from that. So we put a high emphasis upon physical and emotional safety. But that's not what Jesus is praying for here. What Jesus prays for is spiritual protection. Spiritual safety. He says that... None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, Judas, who has rebelled against him and betrays him. And the issue with Judas is a spiritual issue, that Judas chooses the way of the world rather than the way of the words. And our greatest danger is not threats to our physical or emotional health. The greatest danger are threats to our spiritual health. That's more fundamental, more significant. And that's how Jesus prays. And so the way that Jesus prays and the kind of questions that we can ask ourselves out of of his prayer and the things we should pray for ourselves are, are things like this. Are we walking in the truth? Jesus has revealed the words of God to us. He's revealed the truth to us. Are we walking in that truth? Let's pray that we do. Are we experiencing the joy of the Lord? Verse 13, well, look at this one. Jesus says, I'm coming to you now. I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy with them. Are we experiencing the joy of the Lord? Joy in God. Are we enjoying God's presence? Are we treasuring the presence of God? Is it a delight for us to come into God's presence? Do we know what it is to come and worship before him, to see something of his glory, to delight in that, to revel in him and his love and care for us? We should pray for that. Are we being sanctified? Are we living in a way which does reflect the Jesus way? Are we living? Is there a sense of purity 
about us rather than a sense of grubbiness, spiritually, morally? Are we living as disciples? Now, this is how Jesus prayed for the disciples. This is how Jesus prays for us, that we would know the truth, that we would experience the joy of the Lord, that we would be sanctified. We should pray for those things because that's how Jesus prays for us. Let's pray for ourselves in the way that Jesus prays for us. It might be this morning, actually, it would be good for you to be prayed for. Every Sunday, we have the prayer team at the end of the service and say, if you want to get prayer, come and be prayed for. It might be that you want to get prayed for this morning because you want somebody to pray for you in the way that Jesus prays for you. And you, need to, you know you need that prayer. It might be that you're, you feel that you're not really walking in the truth. Get somebody to pray for you that you'd have a fresh commitment to truth. It might be that you're not experiencing the joy of the Lord. Get somebody to pray for you that you have an encounter with the Holy Spirit who enables you then to come in fresh wonder at who God is and a taste of his glory. It might be that you do feel just a bit spiritually, morally grubby, that you're in a spiritually vulnerable place. You're stepping into dangerous territory. You need to know some spiritual protection. Well, get somebody to pray for you. Let's pray for ourselves. Let's pray for one another in the way that Jesus prays for us. And then the third thing is that we should pray for world mission. Verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone, not just for the 11. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, Though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Wow. Jesus' prayer for us that we would get caught up into this experience of the love of the Trinity. We see here that we should pray for world mission. Really, in many ways, this is the focus of the whole of the high priestly prayer. This is how Jesus is teaching disciples how to pray for world mission. When Jesus prays his prayer, it's Jesus in an upper room with 11 of his disciples. It's not very auspicious. It's not very impressive. This doesn't look like something which is going to change the world. A dozen guys in a room together. It doesn't look like very much. But this is the ends of the earth prayer that Jesus prays because Jesus' disciples are called to an end of the earth mission. And the whole of the Gospel of John has really been leading us to this, to this point. The, the theme of our, of our series is, the title of our series is That They May Believe. And the whole direction, the whole drift of the Gospel of John is calling people to belief in Jesus. And so back in John chapter 10, we see Jesus saying, I have other sheep that are not 
nor the sheepfold. I must bring them also. And uh, later in John chapter 10, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. In John chapter 11, we are told that Jesus would die for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. The, the whole point of Jesus' mission, which he's now accomplishing, finishing, is that the scattered children, the scattered sheep of God from around the world would be gathered into one flock. That God's people would be gathered together from all corners of the earth, from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And this really needs to be the point and the focus of our prayers. We need to be praying for a greater revelation, experience, vision of the glory of God. We need to be praying for ourselves in the way that Jesus prays for us, that we'd be sanctified, we'd walk in the truth, that we'd know the joy of the Lord, that we'd be guarded spiritually. But we always need to be praying that the scattered children of God would be gathered from the four corners of the earth into the one flock. And it's the witness of the church which leads to the reaching of the nations. It's the work of God's people. It's the work of disciples to make more disciples. This, I think, requires for many of us a reorientation in our thinking, in our praying very often the question that we ask, very often the question that people would come to me and ask for advice about is something like this. What is God's plan for my life? What is God's plan for my life? It's a very personal question. It's actually a very Western culturally question, individualistic question. What is, what is God's plan for my life? What am I meant to do with my life? Really, we need to turn that around, and there's a subtle but significantly different way to ask the question. Really the question we should be asking is, not what is, the plan, what is, God, not, not what is God's plan for my life, but what is our role in God's plan for reaching the world? What is our role? Gateway Church. What is our role in God's plan for reaching the world? What is God calling us to? in order to fulfill the commission that he has given to us. We're to do this so that, as Jesus prays in verse 24, others might be with Jesus and see his glory. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The reason that Jesus sends disciples on mission is that we might call others into a relationship with God, that others might be with Jesus and see the glory of God, that the people of God would be brought into unity, brought into oneness, that God's church, his bride, his flock would be gathered together. There would be a, a unity, a oneness about us which speaks to the world about what God has done for us, that we together might be brought into the presence of God. We, his family, his children, the sheep of his pasture, might know what it is to walk in the presence of God, to gaze on his beauty, to taste of his glory. And so we need to pray for world mission. We need to pray for it. We need to pray that even through us here at Gateway, somehow the ends of the earth might be reached. That happens, happens in part through things like, as Grace has described, things we're privileged to do. It happens as we connect with people from other Nations, backgrounds, cultures, contexts here in BCP. It happens as we pray. It happens as we pray for friends around the world, as we 
pray for those believers in India who you might not know personally, but at the moment are experiencing increasing pressure, increasing persecution as we think about pray for India, that now the largest nation in the world numerically, overtaken China in terms of population. And God is doing great works in India, but the disciples are experiencing increasing difficulty. Pray. Let's pray for world mission. Let's pray that Jesus would, that his sheep from India would be gathered into the one flock. As Andre is with us from Ukraine next week, that's going to stir us in thinking about the nations. Let's pray. We've kind of forgotten to pray for Ukraine because we're all thinking about Israel and Gaza. Let's pray for Ukraine. Let's pray for Israel. Let's pray for Gaza. Let's, let's pray around the world. Let's pray for the nations because that's what Jesus has taught us to pray. So let's pray. We pray for your glory. Let us taste it. Let us see your glory. Let us not be trivial in your presence. Let us be overwhelmed by the wonder that we are, have been invited into the presence of God, that we step out of the mundaneness of our lives into the glory of eternity with you. Lord, let us feed and feast on this in a fresh way, this amazing truth. Lord, help us to pray for ourselves as you pray for us. Let's pray, look for that spiritual protection. Let us pray to lay hold of joy in the Lord and a life of purity which honors you and holding to the truth. And, and Lord, let us have yeah, a vision for the world. Let us, be, let us be a church which does pray for world mission and plays our part in your plan to reach the nations of the world. Lord, thank you that, Jesus, you are our great high priest. Thank you that the work is finished. You accomplished what you were sent to do. And you are gathering your people from the four corners of the earth into one great company, the beautiful bride of Christ, of which we get to be a part. Jesus, thank you for your high priestly work. Thank you for your intercession for us. Thank you for what you finished on the cross. That we might live life with God. What a glory, what a privilege, what a joy. We worship you, King Jesus. Amen.